0: From WBGO, this is Newark Today, your monthly look at what's happening in and around New Jersey's largest city. And now, here's your
1: host, Michael Hill. Welcome once again to Newark Today. I'm your host, Michael Hill of NJTV News. We have a really great discussion ahead of us tonight. We're talking about a homeless uh, homeless in Newark, homeless in New Jersey, and what to do about this issue. We're talking about some new initiatives uh, as well, which is always important to the discussion when you start talking about a problem as, as difficult and as long lasting as this one seems to be. Our guest this evening is Ketlin Alsbrook. She's the Chief of Staff, the City of Newark Department of Health and Community Wellness. Welcome, Ketlin. Also bridges uh, on the phone with us is the executive director Richard Uniak I said his name correctly because I asked for it this time to make sure that, that it's two it's actually three syllables instead of four as I was making it and in the studio with us also is Taisha Kelly she's with Monarch Housing that's the association that does the uh, the annual survey of housing and homeless Uh, in the state of New Jersey. Certainly welcome you all to the broadcast. The number to call here, and we certainly anticipate your phone calls this evening on this topic. We know that you care about that. You cannot, in in a place like Newark and in a state like New Jersey, uh, a a high income state, a state with um, a great deal of highly educated people uh, in the shadows of New York City, you cannot miss the homeless when you go throughout this city and really throughout this state. It's not just an issue in Newark. It's a problem across this state, just as hunger is an issue in this state. We want you to give us a call. Give us your thoughts, best practices, solutions, what you think should be done, anything you can think of that would add to this conversation and add to helping the plight of the homeless in the city of Newark and in the state of New Jersey. The number, 844-677-9283. 844-677-9283. Eight four four six seven seven nine two eight three. I want to pat right now WBGO on the back, the news team here, for receiving four, not one, not two, not three, but four New York Association of Black Journalists awards. Let me go through them real quick. Actually, not too quick. <laughs> uh, I'll save the best for last. Uh, Radio General News, Newark launches program to bring cops and kids face-to-face, Alexandra Hill, WBGL. She is our producer of this show. She's an anchor here at the station and a terrific reporter. Uh, Also, radio spot, general news in that category. Hundreds rallied to shut down Jamesburg Juvenile Jail. Guess who got that award? Uh Uh-huh, Alexandra Hill. Uh, Radio sports. Former NFL star Nate Burleson brings swag and fun to sports television doug doyle the executive producer of this show sports jam with doug doyle on wbgo and am i am i saving the best for last when i say this one radio public affairs new york today presents four living mayors you recall this recall this show alexandra hill ang santos the awardees on this And we we got this award because we managed to get all four living mayors, elected mayors of Newark, over the last 50 years, I guess it was, going all the way back to 1970 or so. And we managed to get Ken Gibson um, in here. We managed to get his successor, Sharp James. We managed to get his successor, Cory Booker, who is now a United States senator and likely to run for U.S. president uh, in 2020. And then we had uh, the man who succeeded him, who was on the city council. He was a, uh, a high school principal as well uh, and a teacher. We got uh, Mayor Raz Baraka in here, and all four of them sitting down talking about what was taking place in Newark, how it's changed from time to time, the challenges of governing a city like this, the challenges of getting the resources to govern and control a city like this, and to move it forward year after year. It was a, an incredible experience to have all four of them in the studio at the same time. Congratulations to Alexandra Hill, Ang Santos, Doug Doyle, and the entire WBGO team. Now, let's talk about our show. Ladies, thank you very much for joining us. Richard, thank you for joining us on the phone. Uh, Katelyn, tell us, what do you do?
2: Well, I serve as the Chief of Staff for the Department of Health. Um, I'm also the Project Director for the Ryan White Program. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Yes. Yes, it's the the, the largest federally funded program for people living with HIV and AIDS. Um, we manage the uh, Ryan White Part A program for the Newark eligible metropolitan area um, that covers Essex, Union, Morris, Sussex, and Warren counties. And we serve about 6,000 people living with HIV and AIDS
1: each year. 6,000? Yes. Wow. And how about you, tell, you? So tell us about your, what, what you do?
3: Sure. I work with Monarch Housing Associates. We're a nonprofit organization that works statewide on a couple of things. We primarily focus on developing uh, permanent supportive housing for persons with special needs, as well as doing planning with communities on homeless issues. So as part of the homeless planning work that we do, we work with communities across the state on figuring out what's going on in their homeless systems. Do some We do grant writing, we do data analysis, and we also coordinate the point in time count of the homeless that happens annually in January every year in the state.
1: That's quite a task. Yes, it's a lot to do. It (laughs) is. And on the phone with us once again is the executive director of Bridges, Richard Uniac. Richard, uh, welcome to the broadcast. Tell us, what is Bridges and what do you do there?
4: Thank you, Michael. Uh, So Bridges is a 30-year-old homeless outreach organization. For three decades, Bridges and their 2,000-plus volunteers each year have gone out to the streets of New York City, Newark, Irvington, and provided on a weekly basis lunches, cups of soup, uh, lemonade, hot chocolate, expanded over the years to include toiletry kits, cold weather packs, clothing items. What's most exciting, though, about Bridges is that four years ago we began with Project Connect, now in its uh, custom-tailored location on Halsey Street, which provides holistic case management services for the homeless people we engage with. You know, a much more concerted effort towards reducing the need over time we hope uh for our yellow truck our distinctive yellow truck to continue to go out there to these places week after week month after month year after year and i'm the executive director as of six months now today congrats (laughs) county and so it's you know it's chief cook and bottle washer thank you it's you know we do whatever we have to do we're a small staff uh despite our 30 years of age and uh we are working with some of the great folks, including the two ladies you have there, uh, to end homelessness in Newark and beyond.
1: Fantastic. Let's get started here. Uh, I mentioned an initiative, the city's first-ever year-round shelter initi- initiative. And, uh, and Ketlyn, you can tell us about that.
2: Sure. Um, I think to sort of understand how we got to where we are now, I want to talk about how it started. Um, back in 2014, when the Barack administration first came in, um historically, the, the Department of Health has always worked with the Office of Emergency Management to issue out code blue notices when temperatures um, are frigid, yes. notifying the public of what to do.
1: And you did one last week. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes.
2: Yeah. Um, and so I think that was the extent of uh, what our code blue efforts were at that point. Um, Under the Barack administration, we began talking about what to do about the homeless population that are on the streets in the cold winter um, season. And so in the winter of 2014-2015, we started Cold Blue Sheltering, um, and it involved a a variety of partners, but it was staffed primarily through the health department. Um, So we would open up the space at uh, JFK Rec Center. Uh, We'd have staff drive around to the hot spots in the city and find homeless who are unsheltered, and we brought them into JFK. Uh, We had cots and blankets and food that was donated to us um, by local restaurants like Carmen's and King's. Um, as well as food from the Salvation Army, uh, we had volunteers from Rutgers and other partner organizations. I don't want to start naming names and forget right, 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 right. <laughs> key partners, but um, it, it was a, a unified effort to get to get these folks out of out of the cold. Um, and so, you know, that started in two thousand fourteen, two thousand fifteen, and and we continued that in the winter of two thousand fifteen, sixteen. Um, I think in middle of two thousand sixteen, the state issued out new regulations and guidance around emergency sheltering. Um, And and looking at the guidance, the Department of Health felt like um, the process that we currently had in place for Code Blue sheltering wasn't enough. Um, and obviously, we didn't have the resources to, to to meet the the vision that we had in mind for addressing homelessness. And, Caitlin,
1: when you say it wasn't enough, what did you find to, to, to say it wasn't enough, that it was inadequate, it was insufficient? What was it about it?
2: I mean, for the most part, we were using staff from the health department, right? So, can you imagine oh, you have wow. folks who are working 8.30 to 4.30, right. and then coming back to work 7 o'clock to midnight, and then coming back to work the following day at 8.30. You know, there wasn't a, a, a pre-established budget for it. Uh, we typically I think for the first couple years we used salary accruals um, from the department, you know, positions that remain vacant, dollars that were available that were unoblig- unobligated, and we reallocated it to, the, to that project, to that initiative. But that wasn't enough, you know. The facility at JFK is, is a rec center. It's designed right. for children. And oftentimes, we would find ourselves interrupting the programs that are happening there because wow. we're trying to set up for the night, you know. It just wasn't the ideal situation. And you talk about um, the number of bathroom facilities that are available for the number of people that you're sheltering and, you know, that sort of thing. We felt like we needed to do more. Um, And so um, I think in uh, the winter of 2017, we started exploring other ideas for code blue sheltering in the city. Um, And luckily enough for us at that point, there was a a building located on 224 Sussex Avenue. Um, It had been previously used for um, re-entry program, Yes. Um But that program was being relocated to another facility. And so that space was empty. You had 400 beds empty and you have wow. over 400 people sleeping on the streets each night. And so we worked out an arrangement, a contract for that year where we were able to use that facility to provide code blue sheltering. And it operated virtually 24-7 Um the intake was about four or five o'clock in the evenings, but the the residents were able to stay over the course of the night. And then obviously they were encouraged to seek supportive services and and so forth during the the day. Um, And that lasted throughout last winter. Um, And so this year when we were preparing um, for our code blue sheltering, we decided um, what we wanted to do was really rather than try and enter into a uh, a business in an industry that we're not experts in. Let's invest in the existing infrastructure, right? So we have 20 plus shelters in the city, uh, many of whom are, are funded through the county and federal state grants. Um, but there's a subset of the homeless population who don't qualify for these traditional sources of housing. So we said, you know, the city will invest in these shelters by making sure that any home, unsheltered homeless individual on the street would be able to get a warm bed at night and the city would serve as a payer as last resort if they're not eligible for other sources of of, of funding or coverage. Um, And that's how we ended up here with the um, the initiative that we have in place for this winter, which started on November 1st, we issued out an RFP. Uh, we requested proposals from different, uh, from the various shelters. We're actually encouraging all the shelters right. to apply, um, but we only received 10 applications, of which seven were recommended for funding. Um, and so we have seven contracts in place with shelters throughout the city. One in East Orange, and um, you know, our unsheltered homeless now have an opportunity to come in. And if they don't qualify for other programs, then the city will provide support to the shelter to make sure they stay.
1: Now, now how was, what are the qualifications?
2: The qualifications to, of... To,
1: to get into a shelter that you were saying?
2: To get into any of these shelters? Yes. Um, we're targeting, obviously, Newark residents. We want homeless okay. Newark residents off the street. Um, and these are individuals who um, don't qualify for welfare vouchers okay. or other programs. And so they remain on the street. And obviously, we can't forget that some folks who are on the street choose to be on the street because they don't like the shelter environment, whether it's the rules or the people or or whatever have you. But we're just trying to create more opportunities for homeless people to get into sheltering and then also to access those essential services that will help them transition into permanent housing.
1: The number to call here on Newark Today, we're talking about homeless and housing the homeless in Newark and some other issues throughout New Jersey, is 844 that's 844 677 9283. Join the conversation. Tell us your ideas. Give us your input. Any questions, give us a call. We'd like to hear those as well. Uh, Ketlin, you were talking about this, uh, this new initiative in Newark and, and housing the folks. How difficult is it? What are the requirements when the temperature dips below freezing or near freezing and these folks? have to come off the street as the mayor and the city deems that it's it's necessary. In, in, in this case, wh- what is it that the city does to make sure that they come off the street? Can you forcibly remove them, or do you just offer them services and kind of leave it up to them to say, uh, uh, I'll take it or leave it?
2: Can't force them, but you can outreach and try and engage them, which is something that a lot of our nonprofit organizations are involved in, including the shelter, sheltering community. Um, the best thing you can do is I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I got a call from a colleague in city hall. Uh, they received a, a email from one of the businesses on Broad Street. Um, there was a homeless woman that had sort of. Um, Made it made that place her home right in front of the building, right under the um, the entrance. Right. And um, their concern was, what should we do? How do we put her in a better place? Because this is not the ideal place for her to be. And so um, we reached out to one of the uh, our port- partner organizations, actually Bridges, by the way, and they sent an outreach worker who talked to the woman you know, engaged the woman in conversation, got an understanding of what her issues and needs were. There were actually two women there at the time. One chose to be referred to a shelter and, and, and placed in a shelter, and the other said, no, I want to stay where I am. This is, I'd prefer to be here. I don't want to be in the shelter. Um, and But that's the type of outreach and engagement that's happening to try and encourage the homeless population to access shelter and other services.
1: Caitlin, um, thank you. Thank um, uh, you. Richard, you heard what Ketlin had to say. So that's what Bridges does? Uh, You you get a phone call like that and you respond?
4: Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Um, You know, we do conduct regular outreach um, every week. We do that um, at places where folks will often congregate, uh, where they will tend to sleep, uh, where they go to for meals even, just as a touch point. You know, the case managers tend to know Who many of the residents are. um, And through the time that they spend with them, they get to know what their needs are. And that's, you know, that's kind of the the relationship building that that sometimes can help, um, where it's not an unknown person who's trying to roust you. Uh, it's someone who has gotten to know you, has taken the time to understand what it is you're dealing with, what it is you need, um, and wants to help and 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 wants you to be in a warm bed, as Catlin referred to, rather than a cold city street. So yeah, sometimes it's a call, um, but this is something that we engage in consistently.
1: and uh, richard, how how many how many clients, how many people do you um, d- does bridges help uh, a year? And, and does outreach? To
4: well, through Project Connect alone in Newark, which is certainly our focus in this area, we're seeing over 400 a month. Um, past couple of months, it's been trending to more like 500, 500 plus.
1: Uh, hold on, Richard. Um, are, are these yeah. new people every month, or are they the same people?
4: No, they're not. Sometimes they are uh, the same people, um, when I when I look at the numbers that come in, this is this is total client touches and interactions. So they're they're not 500 or 400 new people every month. I mean, it, when I go back to look at the point in time count last year, I think there were approaching 400 people in Newark who were unsheltered. So it's not a new 400 um, each and every month, but their challenges are many. Um, and the solutions are often not simple. So, it takes a lot of interactions for some of these folks to get all of the different layers of support and help that they need. Um, you know, very often when they come to us, if they come to us at Project Connect, they're seeking an ID. You know, they're seeking that gateway to different resources, to benefits. They're, they need SSI. They need shelter, they need housing, they need lots of things. Um, And some of them have uh, a a disability that needs to be dealt with, whether that's a mental health diagnosis, whether that's addiction, a physical disability. There's just a lot to it, and and every case is so unique um, that they invest a lot of time in those relationships.
1: And, Richard, what do they want? Do do they look beyond today and, and, and see themselves what they want? A month from now a year from now
4: you know i'm i'm very hesitant to to say they you know we had a we had a symposium monday morning where lieutenant governor sheila oliver spoke and and she cautioned anyone to paint quote the homeless with one monolithic brush and that's something that in in a, short months that I've been with Bridges, I've really sought to understand and engage people in conversations with that, that the homeless, as they're often referred to, are are people. You know, they're individuals. I, I told a story the other day. That some of my staff, I was driving down the road, and I saw a Pet Finder sticker that said, Pet Finder, adopt a homeless pet. And we're dealing with homeless human beings, and it's not so simple or commonplace to think about adopting them. And they're really unique. You know, so some of them are on the brink of homelessness and through partnerships with the city and and ESG funds and things of that nature. We're able to stand in the way of imminent homelessness, and these are people who are planning their lives. And some of them may be just trying to figure out how do I stay safe tonight. We have women clients who are in constant fear. We have had women who are being attacked at times. It's not a safe thing for everybody to be living in those conditions. So sometimes it's an urgent need where they need a safe place just tonight.
1: And do they, do they, um, um, the men and the women you encounter uh, and you try to help, do they sometimes need the assistance of police? and, And if so, do they accept that kind of help?
4: Sure, they do sometimes need them, and, and, and I think that they do uh, send, tend to uh, you know, oftentimes accept that help. Um, I think that we've had, and our caseworkers certainly have, really great relationships with the police, both the Newark Police, um, the New Jersey Transit Police, the Port Authority. Um, there are some really great people in the mix in this complicated equation. Um, so sometimes they are required, and um, and I think more often than not, they're very understanding of, of the plight of that individual.
1: And, and Richard, um, are, are you finding out, you mentioned numbers from month to month, are you, uh, go year from year, and are, are you seeing more homeless people that you have to help in, in, in Newark? Right
4: now, I can say we are seeing more. Um, Some of the challenge that that we are dealing with and and that that Ketlin actually touched on is, is the idea that we want to help Newark residents, especially within this construct of this initiative. But once a city starts to develop more sophisticated and more varied resources to help homeless people, they start to see more homeless people. Right. Um, one of the other things, of course, that we see as as an indicator to, um, you know, Newark's Renaissance, which is often being discussed, and, and Newark certainly seems to be on the rise. When a when a city comes to be on a rise or an area comes to be on a rise, sometimes you start to see increases in homeless uh, numbers of homeless people because of the gentrification effect. So, regardless of which factor is driving what, and I, I can't say that I have that answer yet. Right now, we're seeing um, some increases, um, increases of you know fifty or so month to month. Um, as we go year over year, it's a little difficult because I'm not necessarily dealing with apples to apples, and I and I try to I try to remember that I'm I'm the new guy here, and I'm, uh, most of the time I'm still trying to learn.
1: All right, uh, Richard, stay on the line for us. We're going to get to this point uh, with Thais in just a second uh, to put a, a, a number on or get some sense of month-to-month, year-to-year, where we are in terms of um, numbers for homeless in Newark and in New Jersey. But we have on the line with us uh, Willie May. Willie, Willie Willie, May, where are you calling from? I'm
0: from Newark,
1: North uh, Newark. Thank you for calling. What's your question or concern? I was
0: talking about that I have a uh Suggestion: I would think that the city of Newark, in a renaissance stage, should build some efficiencies for these homeless people so they don't be, continue to be called homeless and have a place of their own. I think they deserve it. Efficiency would not cost that much money. The federal government should allocate that money to these two funders. Somebody got to write a proposal. This should be done. I'm a social case worker. Used to be the city of Uh Welfare. I saw too many homeless people. I used to do spreadsheets for shelters. $300,000 a month to pay for a shelter room. You could have bought us efficiency for that. And my decision, my, uh, it, it should be like start to look at billing some. I don't, it don't have to be a... Willie Efficiency will be good, better than living on the streets and treated like, they said, less than that pet they was talking about a few minutes ago.
1: Willie May, thank you for calling. Let me pose that to, uh, to Ketlin and to Richard. Which one would like to answer that one first?
2: Let me chime in.
1: Yes, Ketlin, go ahead.
2: So, um... You know this, the HUD, which is one of you know our major funder yes. uh, for housing services, does have a housing first model that we've incorporated into our consolidated plan uh, for addressing homelessness and poverty in the city. Um, and so many of our programs have started to um, pivot their efforts. Um, Less from sheltering and transitional housing, and more into permanent housing, and, you're, and we're seeing that through um, increased availability of, of of housing vouchers. I think the the issue is, and and Thaisa can speak more to this in terms of the data from the point in time count, is that you have you know eighty eight percent of the homeless population in Essex County residing here in the city. And a small subset of that, about um, 11%, are unsheltered. But that 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 number represents those who need supportive services.
1: Wraparound services.
2: To maintain yes. housing. You know, getting them in an efficiency, getting them in an apartment is one thing. But in order for them to maintain the housing, we're really talking about mental health and substance abuse treatment, um, financial literacy and counseling. You know, these are some of the critical services that are going to be necessary to help individuals maintain housing. Because a lot of the homeless... Are, are, are recurring homelessness, you know, that they've had previous episodes of, of homelessness because of financial if issues, uh, Im- employment that doesn't have living wages uh, attached to it, and, you know, a variety of other issues.
1: Uh, Richard, would you like to address that? Uh, well, I would definitely
4: say that uh, I agree with, with Ketlin. And in terms of exactly the execution for what could be provided you know we we're open to all sorts of things you know we're we're new to this game we are not currently a housing provider um but there are some models throughout the united states where it's fairly efficient uh tiny homes container homes all sorts of things that are that are being discussed um and i do think what i would say is that, is that yes there, there is a way to create a solution so that there is enough housing for the homeless residents of Newark. And I think that we're all working towards that goal. But nobody wants to see this happen. Newark has, as as Ketlin said, the lion's share of homeless people in Essex County, um, a small percentage of them being unsheltered right now. And and I think that Newark right now is taking a very bold step in getting out in front of this to ensure that its residents have what they need.
1: Good. Thank you, Richard. Um, before we go to the caller online, it's a Naya online I'd like to talk to, get uh, uh, Thaisa to respond to this as well, what the caller had to say.
3: Sure. I mean, I think that across the state and across the country, we're starting to see a lot of communities start to pivot towards investing more resources in housing so that there's an exit out of homelessness. Uh, The challenge with that is just that it takes time. It's not an immediate fix. It's not something where you're going to see um, an investment today and then housing tomorrow. Uh, It takes time to build that system. It takes time to build those networks. And I think we're seeing communities across the state do that. Uh, those communities that have been more su- successful at that have actually seen really dramatic decreases in their homeless population um, because yes it is you know we don't want to keep people in a state of homelessness we want to get them to a place of stability where they have the supports that they need uh, so housing first connecting a wide variety of housing opportunities is really key um, and communities are starting to work on that I think across the state.
1: H- hang on now I want to follow this up with uh, with Thaisa. You- you'll know where I'm going with this. It's an issue of affordable housing, and in New Jersey, we know what that fight is about. Right. It's the Mount Laurel decision, and there are many towns and many townships and many places that are resisting this. They 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 don't want certain people in their neighborhoods, even though the Princeton uh, a study on Mount Laurel focused on crime rates not going up. People who m- are moving to affordable housing in these. Uh, lack of a better word, nice towns. They tend to do better economically, educationally their kids uh, do better. So that's what we're up against.
3: Right. That is a huge part of what we're up against. And, you know, I think that when we look at the numbers and look at the data on those who experience homelessness, the numbers bear it out. Um, There's disproportionate impacts of homelessness we see. For example, African-Americans are more likely to experience homelessness. They represent a larger portion of the homeless population. And that's tied into the conversation around who's allowed into certain communities and who can access certain communities. I think that one of the things that um, the homeless system is trying to do, a lot of homeless systems are trying to do in the planning process is invest in vouchers because that gives you some more flexibility in terms of where people can go, where people can move. Um, it doesn't solve everything, but it does help in that in that fight and in that process. But there's a lot of work to be done on a lot of different fronts when we're talking about the issue of getting people into housing who are experiencing homelessness.
1: On Newark Today, you are listening to a discussion about homelessness and what to do about it in Newark, New Jersey, and in the state of New Jersey. Much more to come.
4: I grew up in a household where public radio and public television were staples and I'm part of that Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers generation. Knowing I'm a supporter of WBGO makes me feel like I am embraced and part of a community.
0: I am making a worthwhile contribution to something that matters in so many people's lives.
4: I'll do whatever I can as long as I live to help the people have a voice and to have the people's music heard, and that's what jazz is, that's what R&B is.
0: People start to talk to you, and they start talking about, you know, what it has meant to them, or they were going through a difficult time in their life, and they knew they could turn the radio on, and they could hear music that would soothe them, and and maybe a funky move. They could hear some music that would kind of roll in the funk with them.
4: (laughs) Start feeling good now.
0: I'm feeling good. I am feeling good. I am feeling good with WBGO.
4: Feel good when you support WBGO. Call 1-800-499-9246 or go
3: to wbgo.org slash support. You're listening to Newark Today, and we want to hear from you. Call us at
2: 1-844-677-9283. That's 1-844-677-9283.
0: My name is Mohammed Ramseul, I'm from North New Jersey. Homeless people don't want to go to the shelters because a lot of bad ones in the homeless and a lot of the people that work for the homeless, they're taking a lot of people's stuff. Every time I talk to a homeless person, that's what they
5: tell me.
1: You're listening to Newark Today on WBGO 88.3 FM and online at wbgo.org. The number here to call is 844-677-9283. This is a discussion this evening about homelessness and what to do about it in Newark and throughout the state of New Jersey. We have on the line with us now Sabor, who has a question about homeless or concern or comment. Sabor, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Yes, go ahead.
0: Uh, the question is, those people that are falling through the cracks is basically mentally disturbed, and what is they doing about that?
1: When you say people who fall through the cracks, tell me what you're talking about.
0: Especially mentally disturbed people that are out there homeless, and uh, they are falling through the cracks. They are dying, and people don't even know where they're at. They're in the hospital, broke all up with no family, nowhere to go, because they they mentally disturbed, and they're homeless, living in the street.
1: All right, uh, Caitlin, uh, I'll turn to you for that because I think um – uh, Richard uh, Uniac, the executive director of Bridges, is uh, no longer with us uh, for the show. Uh, Richard, thank you for joining us, though. But Ketlin, your uh, response to this uh, this caller? Mm,
2: the caller is absolutely right. Um, many of those who remain unsheltered and, and and some of the homeless who are sheltered are are dealing with mental health issues, and it's levels to it. We're not just talking about severe mental illness. We we're also talking about those who are depressed. You know, those who are dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder and and you know anxiety and 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 you know that sort of thing. So there, our goal, you know, you know, as um, a, for the health department anyway, as a public health department, is really linking individuals to the essential services that they need um, in order to be rehabilitated and in order to receive treatment if that's what the issue is. Um, what we encourage all of our shelters to do, and we included that in the specifications when we issued out the request for proposals, is talk not just about the sheltering, but also talk about the wraparound services. What is your case management plan going to look like? Is um, that the
1: reason you went with these seven shelters then? Yes. Okay.
2: Um, I mean, obviously we didn't have a large number of, of applications, uh, but within that subset that were recommended, they did describe um, how they were going to include these wraparound services as part of the, um, the sheltering services that they provide. Um, and that's going to be monitored, obviously, during the course of the year through the health department um, to make sure that that they're, they're meeting the objectives that were outlined um, in their in their proposals. Um, so mental health is critical. Um, I think we need to increase the number of referrals and, 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 and case management services that are available to the sheltering
3: population in order to make that happen.
1: Tracy, your thoughts on what the caller said?
3: Sure, I think that uh, that's true. We do see a lot of people who are experiencing homelessness who have mental health issues, um, who are suffering through. And I think also if we keep in mind just the experience, the tra- tra- trauma you go through, just experiencing homelessness, anybody who is going through that experience if you didn't have mental health issues before and you've been on the street for five years it's very likely that you have some now. Um, And one of the challenges is that for those who have been on the street the longest is that they might be the most difficult to engage. And so when a person is in a state of true mental health crisis, while we do have many programs out there that are trained to work with that population and trained to help them engage in services, it's all about getting the person to a place where they're making the choice to engage and where they're making the choice to Participate in treatment, and so it's it's a process, and it you know it's not going to happen the first day that a caseworker is out there talking to the person that they're going to automatically engage in services. So it's it takes time, um, but I think the key is making sure that we have enough resources and enough funding for those agencies and programs that are working with that population, so that they can engage them, that they have enough staff to do that, and that they have the ability to really work with that person and walk them through the process um, so that they can get some stability in their lives and recovery. 844-677-9283.
1: Eight four four six seven seven nine two eight three. That's eight four four six seven seven nine two eight three. A discussion on Newark Today about homeless and homelessness and what to do about it in the city of Newark and the city's new initiative. Mayor Baraka uh, told us uh, this week about this initiative and what his concerns are in terms of making this initiative successful.
5: We got seven out of the maybe 30 or something shelters that exist in this area. Uh, and we're really trying to get more shelters to be involved in this. And we, tr- and we, and we, frankly, we need more money from the county uh, uh, because Newark is the largest city in the state. We have twice or three times the amount of unsheltered uh, you know, citizens as anybody, uh, and we get a small portion of all of that money. We should be getting the lion's share of the resources to deal with the issues that we have. Ketlyn, how
1: much more money does the city need to tackle this issue? <laughs> I <laughs> I we're we're, we're going to write you a blank check tonight. <laughs> I have
2: no idea. I couldn't quantify how many,
1: that. <laughs> how many zeros do you need?
2: <laughs>
3: I couldn't quantify that, Taisa. <laughs> if you you're talking ideas? about really ending homelessness, we're you're, talking uh, about. And when
1: you talk about ending homelessness, in the, in the social services network that you guys are a part of, it's called Upstream. And and what's being done upstream to and the conditions that lead to homelessness and right. that's
3: so yeah and i think there's there's two parts to it so yes we want to go as far upstream and prevent as many people from becoming homelessness becoming homeless as possible which means that we have to be investing in Um, high-paying jobs that we have to bring our housing market to a place where it's affordable for people to actually maintain their housing with their wages that they're making. Um, We have to make sure that our education system is working. So there's a lot that has to be done upstream. But then when you're talking about those who are currently experiencing homelessness, who are in our shelters, who are on the street, and ending homelessness for them and getting them back into housing, um, you know, a lot of what it requires is making sure that we have adequate funding for support services and funding to help pay for their housing. Because the reality is, if you're experiencing homelessness and you're looking for a job, how likely is it that you're going to be hired when you're walking into this job interview directly off the street? Um, You know, we can't expect that a person who's currently experiencing homelessness is going to be able to turn around and have the funding to afford an apartment right away. So they're going to need some support to get to that place of getting into housing. And then once they're in housing, they're in a better place to actually you know, improve their lives and, and engage in things like engage in meaningful work, engage in um, treatment and services. So, you know, housing is a really big component component when we're talking about ending homelessness for those who are currently experiencing homelessness.
1: So I said I want to follow up on that, but I want to get to the phone call here. I think Naya is still with us. Uh, Naya, uh, welcome to the broadcast. Uh, where are you calling from?
4: Um, I'm calling from north right now. Yes. Um my question is, shelters have policies that won't let boys over a certain age to stay in shelters with their families? If a boy is seventeen and still lives with his mom and she becomes homeless, how can we change the policy to keep families together?
3: Sure, I'll
1: tell st- yes. I mean, you. Uh,
3: sure, I'll take a stab at that. I think that, you know, when we're talking about um, figuring out how we can end homelessness. It's not only bringing more resources into the system, but it's about how we coordinate the services. And then how do we work with our current programs to make sure that they're opening up and making themselves more accessible to those that are experiencing homelessness. So it means wh- working with shelters to change their policies. Some of these policies are maybe were created out of a perceived safety need. And the question is, is that is that still an issue now? and can we roll back some of those, those policies that shelters are implementing um, to accommodate those that are experiencing homelessness and you know it's going to be on a case-by-case basis but part of the conversation is about how do we help the existing programs become more accessible by changing the way that they do business and the policies that they implement and um, eligibility.
1: And I'm curious about when you say changing um, uh, changing their practices changing their policies is that something that um, uh, a shelter or uh, an organization would have to go through its board of directors, board of trustees to do this? Because sometimes the, the need is so great for the change that it can't wait for somebody to have a monthly meeting to say we need to do this. It needs to be done now.
3: Right. I mean, really, I think that is on a case-by-case basis in terms of how programs are operated. Um, in some cases, we've seen that some um, agencies have the ability to make those changes internally without having to go to their board of directors and so they can have a meeting today and then make the change tomorrow in other cases it's a more complicated process Um, and you know we always also have to tease out what are the requirements that are put in place by the funder by the one that's paying the bills versus what is put in place by the agency to keep Mm -hmm. their staff safe and you know the other thing to keep in mind, and this is not of any comfort to anybody that's experiencing homelessness and can't access the shelter, um, the challenge is that there's a balance that we have to try to find between uh, making it work for the agency that's providing the service and making it work for those that need the assistance. Um, So, you know, it's it's a difficult, you know, process to figure out what works and how to make, how to get there. 844-677-9283.
1: Eight four four six seven seven nine two eight three. The number to call here on Newark today on WBGO. Like to hear what you think about the homeless uh, in 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 uh, in Newark and in New Jersey and how to help. What do you do to help? Do you uh, give folks money? Do you give them something to eat? Do you offer them services? Do you offer them a ride to a to a uh, a shelter? Suggestions? Anything? Give us a call. We'd like to hear uh, hear what you have to say. Uh, Tyson. On, on on the question of of folks who are out there on the street and sometimes you mentioned that, that folks out there five years perhaps longer, there's a perception. The perception is a stereotype. Um, people drive by and they see folks out there and they may see the same person out there for eighteen months and may strike up a conversation and say, Well that person, you know, he was out there and he was out there in January. And he was out there in, in, in June. He was out there in in, in November. And and There are some people who respond to that and say, well, you know, they just don't want any help. They want to be left alone.
3: You know, I always, um, I often hear that comment in our work across the state. And one of the things that I always kind of come back to is it's about what choices people have before them. You know, if you have a choice between, um, you know, something, two bad choices, you you know, you're going to take the one that's most comfortable to you. And so... For a person in that position, and one of the things that we have to remember is when somebody's out on the streets for that long period of time, the likelihood is that they've interacted with a lot of agencies and had a lot of failures in that process and might be a little bit jaded, a little bit upset with the system and, and don't really believe in the system, have lost hope in the system. And so when the choice is given to them to say, you can come in and we've got assistance for you, there, there's a lack of trust. I think that's one thing that we have to sometimes keep in mind, that there could be a lack of trust. It's been eroded over the years. Um, and then, too, sometimes the rules and the, the requirements for them to get those services are not things that they're prepared to do at that p- point in time. And, you know, change only comes when we are all ready to make that change. And that's true for every individual, regardless of whether you're experiencing homelessness or not. And so while we might look at their situation and say they're not making the choice that we think is appropriate, from their perspective, they're making the choice that's comfortable for them. Um, so I, I think it's it's easy to say that they don't want the help, but I think that that's just a simple answer to a really complicated process of change.
1: And do, do the folks who are homeless, do they, you know, you see a lot of them in places like Newark and other places, um, a shopping cart or two, um, stacked to the max with bags and and other things that are attached to the shopping cart is there a concern among the homeless sometimes um, when when um, they've been out there on the street that long that going to some shelter going to some institution getting accepting the help that okay what happens to all my stuff here because these are all the possessions they have in on, on earth
3: right yeah I think that that's definitely a, a concern. Um, there's also the concern that you know while we might have a perception for those who are not experiencing homelessness we might have a, a perception of what the homeless population is and those that we see on the street they too have their own perceptions about what shelters are and for some of them um, you know whether it be through experience or whether it be through things that they've heard they don't want to be in that environment because they're afraid they're afraid that they're going to be um, the victim of a crime and that or that they're going to get hurt somehow so um, you know I think unfortunately there's just a lot of misunderstanding all the way around for the person experiencing homelessness, from the person from our end in terms of the assumptions that we make about why they're not engaging in services that make it really hard sometimes. And once we can get past those mis- those assumptions and those misunderstandings, um, we can get to a place where there's an opportunity for true engagement so that they can um, perhaps engage in the assistance that they need.
1: And there's another stereotype. People often say that, well, you know, he's back out on the street because he didn't want to follow the rules.
3: Right. Well... Yes, <laughs> I think that's that's part of it. But, and I was, you know, one of the things that I, I think about is, I'm I consider myself a grown woman. If I had to go into a place and somebody told me I had to be in bed at nine o'clock, mm-hmm. when I'm used to going to bed at 11, 12, whenever I feel, mm-hmm. um, and then having somebody dictate their own rules, when I've been living my life freely up to this point, that's a hard decision to make, um, and. For some people, if that's the only power they have over their life circumstances, they you want to be able to maintain some power over your life. Mm-hmm. You, you need that, and so I think that you know it's 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 not as simple as saying follow the rules.
1: But that goes to what the point you were saying that may, perhaps shelters need to alter their rules and adapt to a real life situation right. as something as opposed to something as rigid as saying. Uh, seven o'clock, you eat dinner. Nine o'clock, lights everybody in the bed.
3: Right. And I think that that's one of the things that the move to a housing first kind of perspective is really about how do we make this place as accessible and as accommodating to the person who needs the assistance without crossing boundaries? I mean, obviously, you don't want it to be a free for all, but how do we make it as accessible as possible as possible? And really take into consideration and understand from their perspective what their needs are, as opposed to really working from the perspective of what's easy for us as an agency to implement. Now, that's a lot easier said than done. But, yes, at the end of the day, if we want to see an end to homelessness, if we want to see a reduction in the number of people that are on the streets, it does require a different way of thinking about how we provide services and, um, you know, what we offer.
1: And uh Caitlin, that's what you were talking about in terms of wraparound services and things like that. What's being done as the as the as the city and as New Jersey and as other communities, nonprofit organizations, um collaborate and, and try to tackle this issue. What's being done for something um not so much upstream, but are kind of on the other end. Once someone is is on the street homeless, they've accepted the services, they're mm-hmm. willing to uh, accept the services and willing to uh, get whatever they, they need mm-hmm. to, to change their lives. But what's being done to help them move into something permanent where, where as you talked about, the wraparound services mm-hmm. so that they don't wind up back on the street in, in two weeks, that... that they are getting the services they need, and a lot of times it's, a lot of times it's probably mental health issues, and it's a combination of mental health and perhaps even some kind of a substance uh, uh, disorder.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's often too financial. You right. know, a good a good number of the uh, homeless population do have some source of income, but when you're talking about SSI and SSD, you know, th- you're talking about seven, eight hundred dollars a month, right. best case scenario. It's not enough money to pay for rent in the city of Newark, not unless you're lucky enough to find an uh, affordable housing unit or qualify for a subsidy or a voucher of some sort. And when you talk about upstream, you know, and, and systematic change. If housing instability is an issue uh, across our state, right, there's a trickle-down effect. It cascades. So the middle-class person who would have normally bought a house is now taking up those affordable housing units because they have good credit. They don't have a history of eviction, which is some of the issues that many of our homeless populations are dealing with when they're trying to to, to become permanently housed again. You know, I, we've worked with individuals who fell behind on their rent for different reasons. We've provided financial support, first month's rent security. We're looking for a landlord that will rent a, a home to this individual. And you, you you get denied over and over because they've had a couple of evictions um, in the past or because their credit. Is, is too low. So what do you do with that individual? You know, now you have to, to work harder to find landlords and homeowners who are willing to compromise and willing to make adjustments and accommodations. Sometimes, not uh, as much as we'd like, but right. sometimes definitely there are.
1: And they, know, and they kind of know that they're taking a risk to a certain extent. Is that the reason they kind of shy away from it?
2: I think some understand they're taking a risk. And and uh, others are willing to take take on that risk, you know. I, and and then there's a subset too, who um, understand that this is a population that we have. And Newark has a median income of what thirty. 5000 or so. You know, the majority of the population aren't wealthy. Um and so, you know, they're responding to their neighbors. They are res- they they're not in much different situation themselves sometimes, right? They need a tenant for that for that unit. And so they're willing to make a con. So sometimes it's a financial decision, sometimes there's an altruistic spirit involved in it, you know, but so
1: Let's hope. Uh, Mayor, <laughs> we, we talked to Mayor Baraka about this and, uh, and outreach and, uh, and going after those and, and offering services and approaching those who are in need in a place like Newark.
5: So all of the shelters that signed up, they have to have an outreach component of it in order to win the money that we give them. We, we're even uh, contemplating and partnering with Bridges to get them to do overall outreach for the city, period, so they could just do the outreach for all of us and everyone. Uh, because, you know, really you rely on people's program on paper and we have to go monitor to actually see if they're actually doing the outreach. But, you know, in my mind, I would rather have organization like Bridges take responsibility for doing the outreach.
1: Quite an endorsement there. Richard Uniak is back on the phone with us. He's the executive director of Bridges. Richard, welcome back to the broadcast there. Uh, your response Thank to you. what the mayor just said.
4: Uh, I I couldn't be happier uh, about what uh, Mayor Baraka said. And, and certainly we've, been speaking with Ketlin and uh, you know the whole team over there. It's it's what we've been doing. It's 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 what we we feel is our greatest strength, um, and it's a critical component to getting people sheltered, getting people housed, having that holistic approach. You know, we're we're serious about working to end homelessness in Newark. Um, we think why not start here and uh there are ways to do it so i i mean i'm I'm proud to hear Ras Baraka, Mayor of Newark, say that they'd like to partner with bridges to ensure that there is comprehensive outreach for homeless people in newark i'm I'm very excited about that work
1: Richard, what's your annual budget, and where do you get your funding from?
4: Our annual budget is just over a million dollars. It's the first time in our thirty year history it's reached that level that's all. um that's all. We are, we are small but mighty. We, uh, we will expect to see that grow in the near term as we continue to expand the offerings that we provide. Um, we have a combination of grants, individuals, and, uh, and special events funding with the latter two individual uh, contributions and grants uh, amounting to just over half. Uh, I'm sorry, individuals and uh, special events amounting to just over half. It's um, it's a model that we are evaluating and tweaking as we need to pull different levels, as we levers, as we expand what we do, and and the costs obviously increase. But uh, you know we're willing to take some risks and uh, you know put emphasis behind the areas of our work that we think can make a real difference in the lives of the people we are here to help for 30 years we've been out there with this truck and the idea that these folks are out there waiting for us week after week month after month decade after decade is not the idea the idea is that at some point in the not too distant future no one waits out there for us no one needs us to do that
1: anymore and richard what's on this yellow truck
4: well we started off with uh, brown bag lunches 30 years ago under bridges in uh in new york city hence the name we give out cups of soup, cups of lemonade, cups of hot chocolate, depending on the season, toiletry kits. Uh, we've expanded to include feminine hygiene kits to be more understanding of the whole population that we're serving. We give out clothing items and we engage volunteers from corporations and, and students in high schools to go out there with us. Um, and as we continue to expand our outreach and the nature of that outreach, Um, We'll be looking to include more volunteers because our founders, Jeff and Ginger Warden, in 1988, did this work as a way to establish community, to break down barriers, socioeconomic and distance-wise, to form relationships. Uh, When I met with Jeff Warden on the second day that I started working for Bridges, he told me that handing that sandwich to a person living on the street was to him like bringing a bottle of wine to your neighbor's house. That we are the same. We are fellow human beings. You don't live in a house, and I want to help you to live independently, to have a safe, warm bed, to have the things that you are entitled to.
1: Richard, if people want to donate and if they want to volunteer, what do you what do you suggest to them?
4: They should go to BridgesOutreach dot org, and uh, there are lots of ways to volunteer and to get engaged. Uh, you know, sign up for our email list. We have an e newsletter that goes out now the first of every month. Check us out on Facebook. We certainly need all the help that we can get um, and want to engage people in this work. A lot of a lot of what I see as what I need to do um, as the leader for Bridges is changing hearts and minds. You know, I love the way Thaisa talks about people who are experiencing homelessness rather than, as I said before, sort of the homeless, as, as people often term them. We need people to understand that this idea of not in my backyard, it's, it's not driving them to you so much as it's helping the people who are already your neighbors. It's helping them with basic human needs. These are things that, that a person should be entitled to. So we would really welcome anyone and everyone who would like to join us in
1: that. Richard, thank you. Thaisa, I want to get to you about this because um, Richard referred to you, and I know that Monarch Housing Associates does this annual survey, and I'd ask you before we go on the air, and I really want to get to this. Uh, you, you have another survey coming up uh, in January, about two months from now. Yes. What, 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 does this, what do these surveys, what have they shown us year-to-year of the last few years.
3: So for we do an annual count of the homeless in January, usually the last 10 days of January. So the next count is taking place January 23rd, 2019. Um, and every community, every county in the state of New Jersey does the count on the same day, so we kind of coordinate the statewide count. From year to year, we look at the trends, and this count is a look at those who are in shelters as well as those who are on the street and experiencing homelessness on the street. And what we do is we look at what are the trends, and the count gives us an opportunity to see who's experiencing homelessness, what are the causes of homelessness, what does the demographics of the population look like. It doesn't give us everything, but it kind of gives us a, a, a brief glimpse into the the issue that we're facing and and kind of where we're going Um, for a very long time in New Jersey we were probably for about four years or so we were seeing a downward trend in the population experiencing homelessness so the count every year was decreasing by three to five percent every year 2018 was the first year that we saw an increase so we saw about a nine to ten percent increase in the overall count Um, and I think statistically speaking it's probably not a huge jump but still it is an increase and it is something that we are we know is to be true based on you know anecdotal information from our per- partners
1: and you said you also find out why what's making people homeless
3: right so the survey the count is done through a survey uh... that is administered to people who are experiencing homelessness and one of the questions that we ask is what is the cause for your homelessness what's the primary thing that kind of led to your current situation And the reality is most people identify loss of job Um, loss of income or decrease in income um, or changes in their family makeup so being asked to leave their residence or a breakup of the family as the primary cause of course there's a population the segment of the population that identifies mental health issues or experience with substance abuse as a primary cause of their homelessness but the reality is there are lots of different types of people that experience homelessness and the truth is they look like each of us and there's really by luck that we're not in their position.
1: You know, Debbie Dean Hall is asking uh, about uh, available beds. Are there enough available beds? And as you talk about the survey showing an increase in uh, the homeless population in New Jersey, d- 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 on Debbie Dean Hall on Facebook uh, is asking, do we have enough beds? Or are there enough available beds in Newark?
2: Through the sheltering program? Yes. Um, we We estimate uh, that we have about 400 or so beds available. Um, I think our our biggest challenge is is with families. Um, there's very limited number of, of beds and shelters that target families, um, and so what, what tends to happen is, you know, we're able to shelter the adult individuals um, through the program, but we, we run through challenges when it comes to, to placing families because those slots are limited and they, they fill up very quickly. And sometimes we have to place families into hotels um, and, and other type of uh, arrangements in order to get them off the streets. So
1: we'll have to leave it there. An enlightening discussion on the homeless and the homeless population in New York. In New Jersey, and what to do about it. Newark has just launched a new initiative. My guest this evening, Ketlin Alsbrook, Chief of Staff, City of Newark, Department of Health and Community Wellness. On the phone, Executive Director Bridges, Richard Uniak. Here in the studio, Thaisa Kelly, Monarch Housing Associates, getting ready to do another survey. And I'd like to thank my staff tonight, the folks here. On the phone, Ang Santos, Corey Goldberg, Operations, Alexandra Hill, producer, Doug Doyle, executive producer, Lincoln Anthony, Newark TV, Channel 78. I'm your host, Michael Hill. You're listening to WBGO.